0: Thank you for reading that, and that one in particular, Matthew's Gospel, because Matthew gives us a little bit different picture than the other Gospels about the resurrection. One of the powerful things about this resurrection story is that the women go to the tomb. That's true in all four of the Gospels. Who went to the tomb first in the early morning hours? The women. The women went to the tomb, and in Matthew's gospel, they got to see the stone rolled away. This would not be reported if there was not truth. that That this angel appears to them while they're at the tomb. Because we have verification, negative verification. We have the positive verification of the women at the tomb. We also have the negative verification. The soldiers are there. And so the angel is declaring that his actions, through his actions, that Jesus is raised from the dead. He rolls the stone away. He invites the women to come and to see that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. We know that all of this has happened because it tells us that the guards shook in fear. These are Roman guards. This is part of the centurion force. These are not lightweight soldiers. And so to have them at the tomb when the stone is rolled away as the angel, theophany, comes from God to see this made them shake in fear and fall to the ground fainting without any smelling salts to bring them back up. They were out. The story tells us that the angel sat on the round stone disc as he was speaking to the women. He sat on that round stone disc. A disc is not very thick. I don't know how thick it was, maybe an inch, maybe two inches. So they the angel rose rolls the stone away from the tomb, and then he sits on the top edge of the disk. This is another point of why it had to be a supernatural resurrection. I sat teaching the other day to a group of people who were all sitting, so I sat on the back of the chair, one of these chairs, and I was squirming. I could not get comfortable. Try it. Get up and sit on the back of the chair. It had to be a supernatural event for this angel to stay on that disc the whole time that he's talking to the women. And so, so what the angel is telling us is that Jesus is alive, that he is no longer in the tomb, that he has been resurrected from the dead. He is telling us nothing less than a miracle. Maybe you have had your doubts about Jesus or about the resurrection. Maybe you've had questions in your life. And if you have had those questions, those doubts, and you're here, we're grateful that you're still looking If you're looking for the resurrected Jesus what Matthew tells us is not to look in the normal places but rather to look the normal places would be the places of power the places of celebrity what Matthew's telling us is to look in the places that are unusual places look for the people that are unconventional people In the Mediterranean world, this is the world that Jesus lived in. In the Mediterranean world, firstborn sons were the ones who inherited everything. If you were a secondborn son, zilch. If you were a daughter, didn't even count. Firstborn sons received all of the inheritance. That was the cultural norm. Going back to the beginning of time, I mean, not just 2,000 years ago, but 3,000 plus years ago. Think about it. The dominant focus was on the firstborn sons, not daughters, not secondborn sons. So leave it to God to use an unconventional group of people to convey his message, to reveal his mission, to reveal his love. So you remember the story of Adam and Eve? You know, they had two sons. Do you remember this? They were Cain and Abel. And for some reason, Cain, the firstborn, takes his offering one day to God, and God rejects it. Cain was the farmer. Abel was the second son. He took his offering to God and God received it. So God chose the second born to accept an offering. Abraham and Sarah had two sons. Do you remember them? Ishmael, I know that Ishmael came from Hagar that would have been Sarah's maidservant but it was still still Abraham and Sarah's child. Uh, In essence in that culture all Hagar did was provide her role as a surrogate and so Ishmael was the oldest and then later on the promise when Abraham was 100 years old it was so much more possible when you think, I mean, I mentioned that the other day, and somebody said, yeah, but guys can be really old. <laughs> and then, then I said, well, Sarah's 90 years old in the story. I mean, that's kind of miraculous, isn't it? I mean, any 90-year-olds ready to give birth here? So, so they, they have two sons, Ishmael, and then they have Isaac. And which of the two sons does God choose? Chooses Isaac. So Isaac gets married to Rebecca and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau is the firstborn. Um, God doesn't choose Jacob. Jacob chooses himself and he steals the birthright from his brother Esau. And he's He gets it for a steal i mean it was a bowl of red lentil stew you know just remember you'll do crazy things when you're hungry so be careful i mean you'll do crazy things when you're drunk too so don't do that but but what we see here is that god seems to be choosing the second sons when the world says it's the first sons Joseph. Now, Joseph is not a second son. Joseph is a firstborn son, isn't he? But he's the firstborn son of his mother, Rebecca. Or, sorry, Rachel. And uh, got mixed up with Isaac. Sorry, Rebecca. So, so uh, firstborn son from Rachel. But you remember the story? Jacob really wanted to um, to marry Rachel he was in love with her and so he he went to her father and he said well you got to work for me for seven years which I never did with my son-in-laws I and second thought I maybe should (laughs) have I should have done something like that Um, no I'm teasing we are very gifted with our son-in-laws we love them dearly so so, so he works for seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage. And guess what? Dad gives him the unmarriageable daughter, Leah. I mean, he can't get Mary off, uh, mar- Leah married off. So he gives Leah secretly to him. He thinks he's got Rachel. He wakes up in the morning and ta-da, it's Leah. So he has to work another seven years to get Rachel so he's got all these children from Leah. She had no problem getting pregnant. They had ten, children, 10 sons. Unfortunately, they didn't count the women, so we don't know how many daughters he had. And then, then Rachel gives him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So Joseph is the first son, firstborn son, but he's the firstborn son of the second family. So even when God chooses a firstborn son, it's the second family. Are you getting the idea here? King David was the youngest. Matter of fact, Jesse didn't even claim him. I mean, Samuel was coming to anoint the new king of Israel, and he goes for all the sons, and nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not... And they get to the end, and there's no other son. And finally, Samuel says, don't you have any others? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, uh, you know, there's the runt, David. He's out in the fields. He's shepherding the sheep right now. Well, go get him. And that's how David becomes the king of Israel. When the world says firstborn sons, God says, yeah, but I'm going to choose secondborn sons. When the world says, I want only men, the world says, or God says, I'm going to go to women. When the world says this, God says that. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to world? Or are you listening to God? In this Mediterranean world, women were not held in high esteem. Um, It was a patriarchal culture. As a matter of fact, women were not even allowed to testify in court cases, because their witness was not trustworthy. So they said. So if you saw a crime and you're a woman, you couldn't testify to it. If, uh, if you did, they wouldn't believe you, because you're a woman. It was such a male-dominated culture that Jesus got into some trouble because he welcomed so many women into his followers. In this Mediterranean world, God is very specific in Matthew's gospel. It says in verse 5 that the angel only spoke to the women. There are men there, do you remember? They're the Roman guards. They're crumpled down on the ground. They're fainted. they're, They're knocked out. The angel from God His presence has delivered a punch that they can't get back up from. And it doesn't say that he spoke to all of the people at the tomb. It doesn't say that he spoke to the men at the tomb. It says he spoke to the women. This countercultural God that we live with. The angel tells the women not to be afraid, even though It's the men who are afraid. Remember, they shook with fear before they fainted. So the the angel tells the women, don't be afraid. And then he says this, now go quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you, uh, going ahead of them to Galilee. The next thing we know, the women on their way back to tell this important message to the disciples. And as they go back with this message, Jesus appears to them on the way. Jesus appears to them, and he speaks to them. He greets them, and they fall to the ground, and they grasp his feet, and they begin to worship him. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. That's the second time we've heard that, isn't it? Isn't that what the angel said? Go tell the disciples that he is not here, that he's been raised from the dead. Tell them that Jesus is going to go ahead of them to Galilee and he will meet them there. Here's the beautiful example of where God has revealed his resurrection to the most unconventional people, like a group of women. The women at the tomb. But also he has revealed his promises in the most unusual place. He says that he will meet them not in Jerusalem at the temple but in Galilee you see God chooses to reveal his resurrection promise to his disciples not in Jerusalem but instead in this region of northern Israel Galilee where there are lots of Gentiles intermixed with the Jews it's not to say that that Jesus didn't care for the Jews he loved the Jews and he spoke this message to the Jews first. Paul picks up on that and does the same thing. But it's not an exclusive message, Jesus says, to the Jews. It is also for the Gentiles. So we, we too need to be a church that proclaims this message of resurrection and promise to all people. Not just the ones we like, but to all people. Jesus didn't reveal his promise at Pilate's headquarters. He met the disciples around a table in, in a room, one of his resurrection appearances. Jesus didn't reveal his resurrection promise at Pilate's headquarters, the place that he is arrested. He didn't reveal his promises at the temple where he would often go to pray and to teach. He didn't reveal his promises in the city, the capital city of Jerusalem. He revealed them to his disciples in Galilee, in normal, everyday encounters. So Jesus goes ahead of you. That's what it says. That's the message that I want to share with you this morning, that Jesus has gone ahead of you. Jesus goes before you. And if you're like me, we spend our lives trying to catch up with him. But Jesus has gone before you. In the word of God, Jesus has gone before us and he speaks to us through this word. In the practice of discipleship, Jesus has gone before us. We're called to come and follow him. In the bread and the wine, Jesus has gone before us to the cross where he has offered his perfect life for our broken and sinful ones where he was crucified died and was buried Jesus went before us so we wouldn't have to go to a cross for our sins Jesus went before us on Monday Thursday when he gave his disciples a new commandment love one another as I have loved you and he washed his disciples feet that night you know we had a new kind of Monday Thursday service here this year and um, rather than the seven o'clock which we saw dwindling the numbers were always buoyed by the bell choir they doubled the attendance and so I Deep down, I have a deep sadness because that was one of those very special services for me growing up. And I thought, you know, 7 o'clock, we don't have any children here. Annie and and Alex and I and Patty were talking. How can we do something different? How can we draw families back together? So we created this new Monday-Thursday service. It was called a potluck. And we ate some really great food. I mean, some really good cooks in this church. And then um, then we shared some, some worship time. We shared some stories about the Passover. Then we shared the Last Supper with one another after Patty had made homemade flatbread and baked it in the oven. We have some of that here today. You can have some if you want for communion. And I had, I had a few people afterwards tell me that that was the most meaningful Monday Thursday service that they have been to. And my real joy was that we had so many young children here. And so they're beginning to experience the love for Jesus that I experienced as a small child coming to that very special time, that very special service. It's an unusual place and way to do it. But God even uses that to reveal his promises. I believe that Jesus has gone before us in every aspect of our lives. I believe that Jesus has gone before you in the things that are sitting on your heart this morning. If you're preparing for some medical treatment, for some surgery, if that's part of what you're dealing with this morning, I want you to know that you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear or be anxious because Jesus has gone before you. He's already at the hospital. He'll be there when you get there. He's already at the medical treatment center. He'll be there when you get there. If you are grieving the loss of a loved one, and I know several of you are, I want you to know that Jesus has gone before you. He grieved for each one of us the night before he was crucified. He prayed to God for each one of us. And so when you are in the midst of your grief, I want you to know that you are not alone, that Jesus is already there with you. Jesus promises to find us, to console us with his love. Jesus' promises are found in the most unusual places, in hospice rooms, in war zones, in refugee camps. Jesus' promises are found in preschools, in nursing homes, and yes, even in youth gatherings. Jesus' promises are found in homeless camps, in recovery centers. And even at times, believe it or not, Jesus' promises are revealed even at the church. Because when we are gathered together, we are the church. Jesus has gone before you so that on that last day, when you breathe your last you will not just fade away into the dark, deep abyss. Jesus has gone before you. Today we celebrate that, that we are inheritors to the resurrection. That because of our faith and because of our baptisms, that we too now live with the promise of eternal life. So when you breathe your last, you will not be alone. Jesus has gone before you. And he will be there to greet you. And that is why it's not just a historical, traditional chant or statement. That is why it is so important for us as we gather on Easter Sunday to say, he is risen, he is risen, indeed. he is risen, he is risen.